Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Stuart DeYoung. So, Stuart, why don't you just kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your family, and the church that you're at. Yeah. Um, so, I grew up in California. And when some people, especially uh, here in Iowa, when some people hear that, they're like, uh-oh. Because mm-hmm. uh, California is uh, known for Los Angeles and San Francisco and, and not much else. But I grew up in the agricultural heart of of California in the Central Valley, um, sort of between Hanford and Visalia, um, south of Ripon. Some of you listeners may know about Ripon um, and that Dutch pocket there. But in Visalia, there's another big Dutch pocket as well. Grew up on a dairy. Uh, my four older brothers are all still in dairy business, and I'm the the last of five boys. Um, so that was always fun. Just following along and doing whatever was being done, uh, working on the dairy, going to family events, going to church. Um, it was a very, I don't know, ordinary upbringing to me. Um, really enjoyed it. And growing up, I always figured I'd be in dairy business or agriculture some way or another, uh, but God called me into ministry. So, um, now, my family now, uh, my wife and I, we've been married for just over five years now, and we got to celebrate our anniversary, yeah, a weekend, a couple of days ago, and at our wedding reception, um, a pastor, the pastor I had grown up under, he was talking to my wife, Christine, and I was talking to an aunt and uncle, and he says, well, you know, I still really think Stuart should go to seminary. And uh, it wasn't quite out of the blue. Uh, it was something I had heard some growing up. Um, I had the opportunity to read scripture or a prayer or a responsive reading or something in front of church. And typically, you know, an elder or somebody would say, oh, Stuart, you should become a pastor. And I was in seventh, eighth grade, freshman year, high school. I'm 
never thought good Bible reading was a qualification for ministry, right? It's uh, <laughs> a whole lot more there, <laughs> but that's part of it. And mm-hmm. being comfortable speaking in front of it, people uh, goes a long ways, at least. Um, and my my pastor encouraged me some uh, in that way. Uh, grew up under Lambert Sikama. Uh, some some of listeners may know him, but uh, he at, during my profession of faith, he was you know talking about me and encouraging me after I had made the the vows and such. And uh, he's like, well, and maybe Stuart will join in ministry someday. And that, just completely out of the blue, right? We went through uh, Cornelius, Cornelius Plantinga's book, uh, A Sure Thing, for our profession of faith class and didn't say anything all summer. And then right there in front of church, just kind of blurted that out. It's like, oh, boy. <laughs> and um, so from that point, it was kind of on my radar a little bit, you know, when I was looking at colleges um, I visited Dort junior and senior year of high school, mostly just for fun, because most of my cousins went to Dort. And so you go visit Dort, you see all your cousins, you have a fun time, and the trip is pretty cheap. Um, but while I was at Dort, you know, I asked, is there a, a pre-ministry degree? And maybe there is now, but there wasn't at the time. And so that kind of cooled my interests. Ended up going to Cal Poly uh, California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, and I got my Bachelor of Science in Wine and Viticulture. Um, I wanted to stay in agriculture, but I picked something pretty much the opposite direction of dairy business. And um, it was an interesting opportunity. Uh, The wine world is not for me. It's too much marketing and self-promoting and self-aggrandizement for my tastes. And ended up working for a, a ag chemicals company, and then worked for my uncle, and that was when I I got married and really started discerning the call. Um, so yeah, we have yeah we have three kids now. Um, our youngest will be a year old in December, and our oldest just became three years old in June. Okay. So it's been we've got our hands full of blessings. It's a lot of fun, and it, it, there's many sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah. I remember those years. Yeah. We're in a different stage of life here. We've got two in college and one that just got our driver's license yesterday. And, okay. uh, and then our youngest is 11. So yeah. Yeah. Puts us in a little different stage of life, but I remember the early years. Um, yeah, good fun years for sure. Yeah. We're gonna have to, we'll have to reach out to you eventually when uh, we decide to come out with our own line of messy reformation wines because uh, that'd be, that'd, uh, that'd, no. <laughs> no, no, that'd be wrong. Uh, I was always more interested in the, in the growing side of things oh. and uh, I didn't spend that much time tasting wines. And so, you know, my, my family between semesters at college or what have you, they'd ask me about this wine or that wine. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm more interested in, well, our, our family was quite the uh, cheap beer family. And so we're, we're not a very high culture family. <laughs> I like wine, but I'm not too particular. <laughs> sure, sure, gotcha. And so, uh, what 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 was your call to ministry like then? What what kind of finally pushed you over the edge mm-hmm. to decide to to go to seminary and pursue this call then? Yeah. Um, so early on, while we were dating, um, my wife and I, I was able to read scripture for a cousin's wedding, and um, C.J. Dendulk was the one 
um, what's that called? He was the minister for the wedding. And after the rehearsal, he says, you know what? Have, have you ever thought about seminary? There's this really great one in Southern California, Westminster. You should really check it out. And I, I was vaguely aware of Westminster. Our, our family originally moved from Holland to Southern California and has plenty of ties to Escondido. And, and so when I told that to my wife, when we were, we had been dating maybe a month at the time, and she was dating this, this dairy boy, ag industry kind of guy. And, and so her antenna just went straight up. Am I going to be marrying a pastor now? You know, because that's a whole different dynamic. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of, I put ice on that idea. I was like, no, that's, that's, I thought about it in high school a little bit, but I'm not interested. And I don't think so. And so that was, you know, put that behind us, but then here comes our wedding reception. And um, pastor Lambert said that to Christine and, and she tells me on our honeymoon that he had said this. So we're sitting in our cottage in Cabo San Lucas. It's like, Oh, well, yeah, maybe I should think about this. And, Mm. and Christine was a great aid for me in discernment. Uh, She trained in social work. And so she really knew how to, get a person to think she knew how to ask those questions and to um, yeah, force me to examine my gifts and think about it well. Um, and so, yeah, that started with, you know, I was a cadet counselor at the time. So had some leadership growth there. We started leading uh, a small group Bible study uh, at our home based on the sermon series and, and all that material came, it was prepared by the staff at church. So there was very little homework to be done. It was hosting and being patient enough to ask the questions. So that was helpful in, in discerning that, like, can I lead these things? Can we um, facilitate these things? And the more I talked to some of my college friends about my character and uh, the more I let other people know, they they kind of affirmed that. You know, I, I did enjoy having deep conversations and walking alongside of people through various struggles or issues in life. Um, my yeah, my college roommates always knew that I was somebody they could bounce ideas off of, um, and so that was really cool. And you know, kindergarten teacher, third grade teacher, eighth grade teacher come up to me at church. You know, after we started saying stuff and they're like, Oh yeah, we pegged you for it. Um, and, but nobody had said much or nobody had come alongside and really mentored and developed and mm-hmm. ushered me towards that. And I think that's something that the CRC and probably a lot of the American and the Western church needs to grow in. Um, I'm trying to remember somebody pointed me to a quote or an article by Oh, who is it who runs the foundry? He was the professor at um, at the Bible College in Grand Rapids. Yeah, at, uh, um, Branson Parlor. Yes, Branson Parlor has an article about, you know, where is your next, next pastor coming from? Yeah. And we really need to learn how to farm pastors and promote pastors from within rather than buy them from outside. Um, and that's... Yeah, that's something that's very foreign to our academic system. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, that's been something we've been talking about a lot lately on our podcast, really discipleship, but but even to just kind of build that into just even your own story 
I think it's a helpful conversation for us to have because, uh, you, you know, you had mentioned you've had people kind of nudge a little bit here and there and say, hey, maybe you should check this out. But um, but we haven't done a good job, not in general, of saying, hey, why don't are you would you be willing to walk alongside me as I as I kind of help shepherd you into this? Right. Rather than kind of just poking and prodding and nudging a little mm-hmm. bit here and there, but saying, hey, let's sit down and and have some of those conversations. And uh, yeah, I can't remember what the exact name of that article is by Branson Parlor, but I'd encourage every listener to go read that one. Um, hopefully we'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes or we'll put it in uh, in the summary of the podcast episode so that people can look at it. But it's really pointing out that we're not, we can't be relying on other churches to be raising up the leaders for our church. We have to start doing it on our own, especially thinking about the future of pastors. And in the Christian Reformed Church, we're going to have a massive crisis uh, coming up soon uh, for pastors. And now I don't have the exact percentages on the top of my head right now, but I think I just saw that I think 40% of our pastors in the Christian Reformed Church right now are over the age of uh, 55, I think. Oh, boy. And so... um, we have this huge, we're going to, in the next, I think like 30% of our pastors are going to retire in the next five, five to six, seven years. Um, and so we're, we're, we're already having a, a pretty significant, this, I don't have official numbers on this. This is just the feeling I get that we have already a fairly significant pastoral shortage right now. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of churches that are looking and having a hard time finding pastors and we have less candidates coming in right now. And so we already have a shortage and we're going to have even more of a shortage coming up here in the future. And so um, nobody can be relying on, hey, we're going to find some other church who's going to raise up a pastor for us in the future. We really have to start saying, who in our church are we going to start raising up to be a shepherd of the flock and possibly a shepherd of our church? Yeah. And I think one difficult dynamic of that is... uh, well, yeah, Jesus mentions it in one of the Gospels. You know, he goes back to Nazareth and says, no no town wants a prophet from their hometown, right? Or the, the prophet is not accepted in his home or something. And I think there is some truth to that dynamic uh, for pastoring or for, for ministry as well. You know, I I'm, I'm, grew up with the same idols and difficulties and blind spots as my church that I grew up in. And so I think there is some value in moving, you know, just a little bit away in, in being a little bit separated from the place where we are the pastor. However, you know, one one struggle that we've had, you know, ever since we moved from California to Michigan, and, and I've got some cousins in Michigan, and, and there were some real beautiful friendships that I was able to begin there, but it's not the same as having in-laws and family and cousins and friends who you are used to building you up and walking alongside of and doing fun stuff and silly stuff and and easy stuff. You have to renew and and start all new relationships the moment you move. And that's really hard. Uh, our, Our oldest son, he was born in 2020 and we weren't able to have, you know, the, the baby shower and all the physical in-person stuff 
for one, because of COVID. And second, it was difficult because, well, we haven't really built a lot of friendships yet. There aren't a whole lot of young couples with kids that we're already friends with, right? Uh, and so that that transplanting issue, I think, is an unhealthy one. Um, I've heard it talked about, and it would be best if we could be, you know, the next county over or maybe a state away so that you're within a day or a few hour drive of where you come from. That way you can retreat and be renewed in those old relationships while also being far enough away that you're not necessarily clinging to those too tightly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is something, you know, until, until the car and the airplane, people did not leave their hometown unless they really had to. Um, and I think we exploit that mobility too much today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you think about it, it's only in the last hundred years and not even in the last hundred years, even a hundred years ago, it was a big deal to take a trip of a couple hours in a vehicle, you know? Um, and so in the last 75 years, um, this mobility has changed a lot, but prior to that pastors did a lot of times kind of pastor the, the area that they grew up in. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I've pushed back. I mean, I, I get some of the tensions I, I've seen, you know, the church I grew up in, I could see how I would have had a hard time pastoring, shepherding that church because of just some of the growing up there and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, there's also, you know, some of the, the flip side of that is also when you grow up in a, in a church, if you're shepherding that church, you know, the people really well, you know, the people better than anybody. And that's a good thing. And it can be a struggle as well, right? Um, yeah. But but the good thing is, is people aren't. You just know them. You you can you can read someone if they're struggling or hurting, and you know that hey, this person doesn't doesn't talk about that kind of stuff much. So I gotta kind of put nudge them a little bit. You kind of know some of the tensions in the community that you can try to be more delicately walking around, right? So some of there, there's those kind of things, and the congregation knows you. Then I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, there's no like. You, you don't come in and everybody thinks you're a rock star, right? Because they're like, oh, we know this person, they've, they've whatever. So, so there's some of those yeah. benefits can also be the the negatives as well, right? They can have, mm-hmm. you can have some of the same blind spots. You can have some of the same idols. You can have all of, so, but I think we need to be rethinking some of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've, I've encouraged a lot of churches to not just automatically, um, take the line like a prophet's not without honor in his own town right because uh, uh when jesus said that that was not a, a proverb <laughs> that, we that was, have a, to that was a judge that was a judgment actually yeah that was yeah. A, that was a, that was a bad statement on his own community mm-hmm. um but but there's there's something to us thinking through those things but but uh, i think i think we need to rethink some of that as we look toward the future for sure And that does make me think um, we're not used to discipline. We're not used to correcting each other and calling each other out and building each other up. Um, And it was, it was a meme I saw ages ago uh, about how church discipline should work. And it was maybe on, you know, yeah. Anyways, it was Facebook somewhere and, and it was, you know, two guys talking to each other and it's, Person A says, oh, brother, you've sinned and you need to um, turn back to Christ and continue in the way of life. And 
man B says, oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate your loving correction of me. I've also noticed some things in you. Let's walk towards Christ together. And it's a beautiful thing of what brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ should look like. But too often it's, hey, you're doing this wrong. And person B says, well, so are you. So then I'm not going to be corrected. Uh, it's, um, we would rather refuse correction than admit humility. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's been, uh, I mean, that is really the big conversation we're having right now, right? In the Christian Reformed Church, mm-hmm. especially um, in light of, you know, some of the current things happening in the Christian Reformed Church regarding sexuality, stuff flowing out of Synod 2022, 2023. And, and as people are looking forward to Synod 2024, the, the big conversation really is what, uh, yeah, what is discipline going to look like? And, uh, and, uh, and because, and this is one of the things we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast is, um, as a denomination, we've been really unfaithful in discipline for the last 20 years, right? Uh, There really has been no discipline on a denominational level, right? On a higher level. And so it, it is going to be really hard for us to get to the point of actually doing discipline. And yet I think it's becoming more and more obvious that that's what's needing to happen. And, and so we got to figure out a way for what that's going to look like. Yeah. While we're talking about discipline, um, I was actually recently visiting with somebody uh, talking about the, the last two synods um, because this person was saying, well, the CRC really doesn't do discipline. And I said, by and large, that is probably true. But if we're going to take an honest, sober look at, some of the things that have happened in 2022 and 2023. I mean, we, we did actually put Neeland Avenue under discipline and told them to remove their deacon in question, whether or not they were compliant with that is another matter. Uh, but that actually is a form of discipline that we have not seen in the Christian reformed church in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a- apart from that, Synod this year, 2023, did reject Neelands Avenue's appeal. So I think that is also a form of discipline, at least in word. We need to work on the indeed part, like you're hinting at right now. But as you're saying, we're trying to figure out how to do this right now because we're a denomination that discipline has been foreign to. So we are in the messy process of figuring out what this looks like on the ecclesiastical level in a local church on the classical level in your classes and on the synodical level. So we are working through these things together and by God's grace, I, I, th- I believe he's on the move. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on a, I want to jump on that uh, because on a really another positive note, um, because I appreciate what you just said, Willie, it's um, there's some who, who really are getting frustrated saying we're not doing any discipline and really what I think the honest representation of what's happening is we're maybe not doing discipline as quickly or as decisively as some would hope it would be. But but even on a positive note right now, you know, Synod 2023 did instruct all classes, right, to guide bearing mm-hmm. office bearers into compliance. That's, that is a form of discipline saying, hey, if you have people in your classes who are not functioning in line with our doctrinal standards, bring them into line. And it's telling classes, do your job, right? And they encourage church visitors to do that as well. 
And uh, I think it's important because not everybody realizes some of these things that are going on, but, but there's really an active um, training being done throughout the denomination on for regional pastors and church visitors on what it looks like for them to guide airing office bearers into compliance. And so um, I just sent an email out as stated clerk of classes, Wisconsin. I got some information from thrive and, you know, maybe not everybody's excited about, about thrive, but thrive sent me some information saying, here's training information we're creating to help regional pastors and church visitors guide airing office bearers into compliance. And so they're, they're, they're having conversations with regional pastors, church visitors, trying to help them figure out how to carry out this discipline on, on a local level. So that's happening. And, uh, and I know of classes who have taken this really seriously and they've got their church visitors in action doing the work of discipline. And so people get frustrated because we don't see it at synod yet per se, but on the local level, on the more local level of classes, it's actually happening in a lot of ways. And I think we should be encouraged by that. Well, and I just got to say, I think that also puts our denominational structure, our ecclesiology where it should be, you know, right? The, the authority and the power is first supposed to lie in the local church. And then if they uh, cannot, you know, kind of bring things into order on themselves, they can appeal to classes and then classes to synod. And that is how our denominational structure is actually supposed to function. So as somebody who's just functionally Presbyterian, I see 8C that was passed as a very positive thing because it actually puts the onus of responsibility on the channels that you've suggested are in place right now. Yeah, it's uh, there's a, a family in our area here in, in near Austinville. Uh, yeah, I'm the pastor in Austinville CRC. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. Got there but yeah. uh but uh, there's a family around here. They don't come to our church, but one of their children was having heart problems early on. And so they had to go super easy on this kid so that they wouldn't raise their heart rate too much or stress their body out too much before they were able to do surgery or therapy or something along those lines. And so when the day came that that child was finally able to be uh, disciplined and they were able to stop uh, avoiding all stressors, it was really hard. And I think we're in that same situation in our denomination. We're so unused to on a, on a broad level, we're so unused to following through on what we say from synod or from classes that everybody's kind of getting some shock and it's taking a long time to learn. And it's, it's bouncing around before we can really get into the groove of what it looks like to make a decision and then follow through on it. Um, you know, in uh, what year was it with kinism? Maybe 2019, 2019. And that was, did that church leave or the minister just left? Um who was the the offending party there rather yeah. than receive discipline. It was the wave goodbye, um, which is a sad thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we're, I'm, I'm, uh, I am more hopeful than I have been for a while. I know there's some, you know, I, one of the things I've noticed recently and by, by the time this podcast comes out, it won't be as recently, but, but I've said, I've, I've noticed a level of anxiety amongst conservatives. I'm not sure what it is, but I think you get, 
you get about six months out of synod and you realize the next thing that's coming up and people are like, what are we doing? And what if this doesn't happen? And, and people are starting to get nervous about what it's going to look like and what needs to happen at this next synod. And, and I keep wanting to just kind of tell people like, just relax, just breathe a little bit. Like for one, God's still in control. He's Lord of his church. Right. And, and there's a lot happening that you don't know about, and uh, and not everybody needs to know everything because, you know, we're not some secret coup of a group, as people want to claim. It's just a bunch of people doing stuff. And uh, we just trust and we keep being faithful where we're at and being faithful doing what God has called us to do. And then we see what happens at this upcoming synod. And and if, you know, things turn sideways and we have different conversations. But, but I have this level of confidence because I see God, I really truly believe I see God doing a work in the Christian Reformed Church. I, I see him bringing us um, out of total faithlessness, what we've been for a long time, into, into a position of more faithfulness and a more biblical confessional fidelity. And, and we're working our way there. It's going to take a while and there's going to be some pains because we're there. We are going to lose some churches in the way and, and the budget, you know, just practical stuff. Budgets are going to be a mess for a little bit and positions are going to have to get cut. We're going to have to talk about restructuring, like all that's going to have to happen as we move forward, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just growing pains as we kind of shift and pull ourselves out of the pit that we've dug ourselves into. And we start living into in a more faithful direction. Yeah, I think talking about growth, that reminds me of the whole um, classes Florida or classes Southeast and the the push and the request for evangelism. You know, I I can remember in youth group once or twice going out and trying to hand out lemonade and and playing, you know, bigger and better, trying to talk to people a little and get get to know the neighborhood around our church a little bit. But in seminary, uh, oh man. I was talking with some some seminary friends a while back and we were like, man, we should have been out downtown every Friday afternoon and evening and street preaching and trying to evangelize. Uh, that would have been a really great experience instead of taking a class trying to teach evangelism and missions and not engaging in it whatsoever. Um, and I think as we seek to share the gospel, as we seek to um, be the instruments God creates us for the growth of the kingdom and for the growth of the church. Um, those activities will make important how we define sin, how we define um, the covenant that we uh, join into um, as far as the covenant of office bearers is concerned and how we understand the covenant that God brings us into Um uh, if we are seeking to share the gospel, we have to clearly understand sin. We have to clearly define it, clearly present it, clearly uh, confront it while also being humble and realizing, hey, we're confronting sinners. We ourselves are sinners and we also need to grow and be sanctified. Uh, something, yeah, I, I, I would like to learn evangelism better and get to engage it, but I'm here in a small town, I don't get out a whole lot. I'm trying to, first of all, just learn how to shepherd this congregation over which I've been ordained and which I'm trying to serve and lead uh, and trying to figure out all those dynamics first. Um, I've been here a year and a week in ordained ministry, and it's a year and a month and a half since we moved to Iowa. 
And so it's plenty of growing pains and plenty of figuring out what I suck at and what I'm okay at and what I'm good at. (laughs) That's right. And, and learning what to say no to. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a, another podcast. I'll uh, encourage uh, listeners to check out. It's a, it's a podcast called grace in common. Um, and it's by uh, James Eglinton and uh, Grace Utanto and uh, Marinus DeYoung and Corey Brock. They're all uh, they're all Bovink scholars, and uh, and so uh, for the most part, they're Bovink scholars or Klaus Skilder, which is another like old Dutch theologian that that's pretty great. And uh, but anyways, they talk about a lot of things, and they have a recent podcast uh, called uh, Porches in uh, in the United States or porches in North America, something like that, uh, where they kind of build off of this idea that came out of Abraham Kuyper and uh, and then uh, uh, an article that uh, Tim Keller wrote right before he passed away. He actually got the first part written and then he died before he could write the second part. Um, but talking, uh, the article by Keller is called Lemonade on the Porch. Um, but anyways, he's talking about so Kuiper had this idea like 120 years ago um, of the temple, like the Jewish temple had had a forecourt, right? There was a court, like the court of the Gentiles. There was an aspect mm-hmm. where people could like kind of enter in, but not be fully in, right? There's kind of this middle ground between the, the church, the temple and the world, right? And he had talked about, um, and they're talking a lot about how a, that, that, space between the church and the world today is is like shrinking right because um the you know the church is be uh, well the, there's a lot going on but because of the another language that people talk about is this negative world right the, the world is becoming more anti-christian mm-hmm. and so there's less like middle ground between the church and the world it's and so um anyways it's it's an interesting idea about to get us thinking about evangelism anyways is uh, Kuiper's idea is that the church needs to start finding more of these middle grounds. Um, not that we need to move our theology into these middle grounds, mm-hmm. but we just need to be present in these spaces where um, we're interacting. And so Keller used the idea of front porches, right? A porch is a place where you can come up and talk to somebody on the porch, but you don't have to go in their house. It's kind of a mm-hmm. simple, easy space. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately, especially when it comes to evangelism and gospel proclamation is uh is what maybe not even the church creating its own porches that's kind of what that podcast was talking about but really us thinking about what spaces are just in our community where people are hanging out already right where mm-hmm. where non-christians are hanging out maybe we just need to be present there and then build some relationships and uh and not even necessarily like street preaching it i'm not even i'm not against street preaching that that can be effective in some places but just being present mm-hmm. in places where there's non-christians building relationships having conversations and being just a faithful believer out in public i think that seems to be probably the most effective way right now to really open up the door for good gospel proclamation yeah it's um I've read some of the gospel comes with a house key by Rosaria Butterfield. And that's kind of getting towards that idea of hospitality. And my wife recently, I don't know if she read a book, it's called Holy Huga, Holy Hygie, something along. And it's along the lines of hospitality and having a space to welcome people into our lives and 
nothing has to be perfect. You don't have to have your house spick and span and spotless and shining and, but to invite people into your life. And that doesn't have to be in your own home, right? There's some neighborhoods, there's some situations, there's some circumstances where that's not possible or it's not uh, recommendable. And so, yeah, finding those neutral, well, neutral places or those, those already existing community grounds where we can have a low barrier to entry and we can build relationships with people and present the gospel um, in its truth and beauty, but not force it on somebody, right? Coming into church is an intimidating thing for somebody who hasn't come in a month or a year or ever. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's always seemed kind of backwards to me to say, hey, invite the nearest unbeliever to you to church next week as an evangelism tactic. That, mm-hmm. that seems so backwards to me. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Stuart DeYoung. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.